Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings, where we debate, discuss, and dive into law-related issues important to all of us. I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Heslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Messina. We're here today on Miranda Warnings with Alfonso David, president of the Human Rights Campaign, the largest LGBTQ advocacy organization in the world. Uh, welcome, Alfonso. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you. It's so great to talk to you again. Of course, Alfonso is the former chief counsel to New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo. He's now president of the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, Alfonso, you've you've come a long way here. Um, do you miss Albany? <laughs> That's a trick question. Uh, I certainly... I certainly miss the people that I had the privilege of working with uh, in Albany and in New York City in government for the past 12 years. So I certainly miss the people, but I'm very excited and energized about the work that I'm doing at the Human Rights Campaign. So there's a silver lining there. I, I know you are very excited about the work that you do. You've done so much good work. Uh, we are very appreciative of your service, certainly to the state of New York, and I know you're continuing in your fight for uh, justice uh, now uh, with the Human Rights Campaign. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, your formative years. Uh, I know that you were born in Maryland, but you spent your formative years in Liberia. Um, can, you, uh, can you tell us uh, about your experience in Liberia and how that informed your view of democracy and justice uh, today? Sure, sure. I, I unfortunately had an experience in Liberia that I would not uh, wish on anyone. And that unfortunately is going through a military coup, a coup d'etat. Uh, I lived in Liberia for 14 years. And for many of those years, I lived a very privileged, uh, comfortable, safe life. My father was the mayor of, Li of Monrovia, and my uncle served as the president of Liberia. And in 1980, there was a military coup. My uncle was assassinated by rebels, and my father and other family members were arrested and incarcerated. I lived under house arrest for approximately two to three years. Uh, and while my father was in prison, we were really contemplating what our futures would be, whether we would even have a future. And, you know, that experience really, for me, as at the time a 10-year-old child, really confronting what the concept of democracy is and how that applies to your life, uh, for me, helped form my philosophy and my viewpoint on what I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to defend the concept of democracy and making sure that it actually applies in equal measure to everyone. That when we say we live under democratic principles, that we live under principles of equality, that those principles are actually applicable to all members of our society, including the most marginalized uh, members of our community. So that, that experience during my formative years really helped shape my perspective and my vision and my commitment to making sure that democracy and equality are actually principles that are fully realized. And certainly uh, during your time as uh, chief counsel to the governor, you had a direct hand 
in uh, many of the uh, progressive uh, changes that we had uh, in our state, uh, most, uh, most especially the uh, issues regarding uh, marriage equality. Uh, you were instrumental in, uh, in that work uh, on behalf of the state of New York. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I, I joined government uh, somewhat delusioned about the process of trying to achieve equality uh, through the courts. I had litigated the marriage case in New York with a number of other very, very talented advocates, uh, Susan Summer and Robbie Kaplan and others. And we litigated the case all the way up to the Court of Appeals. And we unfortunately lost the case. And I was incredibly disillusioned about uh, that process. And I was then subsequently recruited to come into government. I worked at the Attorney General's office for a while running the Civil Rights Bureau and then came into the Governor's office and had the privilege of uh, drafting uh, with Catherine Granger uh, and Mylon Dinnerstein the marriage equality law. And that is one of the most significant pieces of legislation I have worked on in my career. It is certainly one of the most impactful pieces of legislation. It changed the lives of many people in the state of New York and provided their families and and themselves, really, with the dignity that they deserve. For decades, same-sex couples were not allowed to marry uh, simply based on, from my perspective, uh, outdated and, and uh, homophobic uh, philosophies. And the marriage equality law really changed that. It changed the landscape, it changed the political discourse across this country, and created uh, a pathway for same-sex couples to really have their relationships respected. I, I had the privilege of working on many other pieces of legislation, from the minimum wage law to paid family leave legislation in New York, uh, and I'm proud of all of those as well. But the marriage equality piece of legislation was really significant. Uh, it was. Uh, it took six months. It was very difficult to negotiate and draft. But uh, but the, the the impact has been certainly um, uh, heartwarming for me. Yes, I, uh, I and it's certainly w- well deserved because I know how hard you worked on that and. Um, you know, it's important that New York be out in front on those issues. Alfonso, you've really served as a role model for many people. Um, You were the first openly gay man and first African-American to serve as uh, chief counsel to the governor. And now uh, you're the first African-American president of the Human Rights Campaign. And that's significant because you say that it's important that when when we talk about the LGBTQ community, that we're not just seeing a white male face, but it's the full spectrum of the community that is reflected. And you said that's going to be important as part of uh, your tenure uh, heading human rights campaign, the human rights campaign. So tell us a little bit about that and why that's so important to you. Well, intersectionality is very important in, in any segment of our culture. I think often we tend to view issues and concepts somewhat myopically. And within the LGBTQ community, and for people that don't know, that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. For the LGBTQ community, uh, historically, and maybe optically, people have generally seen white faces. 
and assume that that was the community, that if you were gay or if you were lesbian or transgender, you were white. Uh, or at least that was the representation that was advanced. And that is so far from the truth. Uh, there are many members of the LGBTQ community that are not white. They're Latino or Latinx. Uh, they're black. Uh, and they're Asian. They're Native American. Uh, and we need to make sure that those images are reflected when we talk about LGBTQ issues. But more importantly, we also need to make sure that when we set priorities for the community, when we set priorities that the organization wants to advance, those priorities are reflective of the larger community, that we cannot advance priorities that are not affecting the most marginalized members of our community. And so as I go into this role, I'm very focused on making sure that the priorities that are set by the human rights campaign are really reflective of the community. And we will fight just as hard for priorities that are affecting the most marginalized members of our community than for those that are well off. And I think we have an obligation, a moral obligation, to make sure that when we say we're representing the community that we do that. Now, that is a mission that in a philosophy and perspective that I have, and I hope that other leaders take on and adopt as well. Because if we can adopt an approach that is inclusive, that supports all members of our society, we really can get to a point that we can achieve equality. Uh, because if we don't, and we only focus on certain segments of our community, we won't get there. And we need to see beyond what we've often done in the past, which is looking very myopically or strategically in a way that's advantageous for certain segments of our community. So, Alfonso, you talk about a little bit about some of the priorities. Uh, we've had what I think could be considered marriage equality success uh, with the Supreme Court uh, decision. What are the issues that you're working on now uh, that are necessary to bring full equality to all of the communities that you represent? We're working on a variety of issues, and I'll, I'll just give you um, I'll, I'll reference a few. One is voter suppression. We are making a six-figure investment in addressing voter suppression across the country. We've entered into a partnership with Stacey Abrams and her organization, Fair Fight, to help combat voter suppression in the 2020 election, which is coming up in less than a year. Uh, our partnership brings together two organizations and our expertise in really addressing voter protection and voter mobilization issues. The, the right to vote is fundamental, and we need to make sure we protect the right to vote. And unfortunately, it has been weaponized uh, against underrepresented minorities in our nation's history. And we're seeing that it's still being used to restrict the ability for people to exercise their right to vote. Sometimes people show up at the polls, and the polls are closed polling stations are closed, even though they should be open. Um, individuals show up and they're told they need additional documentation in order to vote. And we've seen these efforts apply primarily to racial minorities, but we've also seen it applied to members of the LGBTQ community. So we're working with Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight to address that. We're also looking at uh, issues affecting the transgender community. Uh, there have been, in this year alone, 
at least 22 uh, transgender members of the community who have been murdered in this country. And over the past six years, there have been more than 150 transgender people, primarily people of color and women, uh, black transgender women who have been killed in this country. What drives that? Fear and indifference. And we are working with advocates across the country to make sure that we can assist and provide uh, tools that we think could try to stem the tide of violence that is affecting the transgender community. And not only focusing on violence, but also thinking about how we can support uh, economic activities that could uh, further remove some of the stigma that members of the transgender community face. And finally, I'll just raise uh, a litigation initiative that we are we are launching. We are adding domestic and international impact litigation to our approach. The Human Rights Campaign has been engaged in litigation since the 1990s. So for decades, uh, the Human Rights Campaign has been filing amicus briefs in courts across the country, including the Supreme Court. But we have not uh, uh, actively engaged in impact litigation. And so this is a critical tool to fight against discriminatory and regressive laws uh, across the country, and we're going to be launching that initiative. We are working with seven law firms across the globe, uh, and we're going to be working to make sure we can bring equality uh, to places that uh, oppress LGBTQ people, whether it be regressive regulations or discriminatory statutes. We are looking to make sure that we use litigation as a tool to achieve equality. Well, uh, Alfonso, I'm, I'm not surprised that that's a uh, a very full agenda for you, uh, knowing your appetite for, for hard work. Uh, I want to get back, <laughs> right? I mean, I know how hard you worked as uh, when you were counsel to the governor, and uh, you're taking the obviously the skills that you've experienced over time, and putting it to, into this cause. I want to talk a little bit about the first one you mentioned, though, the the voter suppression issue, which obviously uh, impacts the LGBTQ community, but impacts everyone who is a is a citizen in this country uh, what are some of the things that you're you're doing and what are the some of the things that you think need to be done in order to ensure that everyone's right to vote is is protected and equal well first we're looking to conduct a, a research study to really understand how voter suppression efforts have um, disproportionately affected uh, marginalized communities, including people of color, members of the transgender community, and young people. Uh, we want to make sure that the public understands the full scope of voter suppression and how it actually affects, uh, you know, the ability for people to exercise their constitutional right to vote. So we're, we're doing that. Second, we're going to be engaging in an education and outreach initiative to make sure that uh, we have as many people as possible register to vote and understand their rights, understand how they can exercise their right to vote, understand what they should do when they believe they are confronting obstacles uh, in exercising their right to vote. And, and then third, to the extent necessary, we're also going to be exploring other options for making sure that when voters face voter suppression efforts, across the country, um, they have tools other than simply picking up the phone and contacting someone. They have other tools that may be more tangible 
and useful to them. And those are going to be fleshed out over the next year. But I'm, I'm very focused on this. I know many other people across the country, our partners are as well. The Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, for instance, uh, Vanita Gupta, who's running that, has been focused on it. Uh, and some of our partners have been focused on this issue. Because if we don't uh, have, uh, if people don't feel that they have the ability to actually vote, if they feel that when they show up to, to exercise their right to vote, their votes won't actually be counted, then we're not living in the kind of democracy that we should be living in because we are not able to have all voices heard. And that's why this initiative is so important. It, you know, you've mentioned some of the real overt uh, voter suppression uh, tactics, such as, you know, the polling place being closed or people being denied the right to vote. Um, have you done any uh, work or investigation into kind of the more uh, covert uh, voter suppression, like misinformation online or misrepresentations about uh, people's, uh, you know, voting records or the voting, uh, the voting day or the polling place where it's a, a little bit more covert and a little bit harder to get a, a handle on. We're doing that analysis now, but I think some of that information is already public, right? We've seen voter purging in Florida. We've seen regressive voter ID laws in North Carolina, we saw uh, strict voter registration laws in Texas. We've also seen it in Pennsylvania and Arizona. So some of this information is publicly available. Some reports have been issued, but we're looking at these issues comprehensively now. Because you're right, in some instances, they're shutting down polls early and specifically closing polling stations in precincts where their people, people of color live might, uh, largely. We're right. seeing, you know, voter ID laws, which require you to have an exact match uh, between your vital documents and and the voter registration uh, uh, rolls. We're seeing voter purging. We saw that arguably in Georgia. Uh, so if we don't comprehensively address this issue, then we are acquiescing or ignoring uh, the fact that People of color across this country, LGBTQ people, uh, are not having their voices heard at the ballot box. And as a result, the representatives that are in office are not really representing all of the constituents. And I would think, regardless of your political stripes and your ideology, you should want all voices heard. We may disagree on policy issues, but we should at least have representatives that are representing the majority as opposed to representatives that may not be representing the majority. And uh, it's a critical issue, and it's going to be key and central to the 2020 elections across the country. Alfonso, uh, the Human Rights Campaign is making uh, an effort to enlist corporations directly in the fight for equality. You have something called the Corporate Equality Index. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Sounds a uh, very interesting uh, method of, of uh, providing uh, corporate involvement in the work that you're doing. So corporations have been really critical in many instances in advancing civil rights. There are some corporations that have not been as helpful, of course, but I think when you look at the corporate community, just as an example, there were instances decades ago where government was not supportive of the LGBTQ community. Government was actually advancing discriminatory laws and policies. And I'm specifically focusing on, you know, federal governments and in some cases state government. Uh, 
decades ago, we had corporations that were willing to enact policies that were inclusive. They were willing to respect LGBTQ people for who they are. And those same companies are now uh, advancing policies and procedures and um, uh, I would probably largely policies and procedures to make sure that they have inclusive workspaces. There are states, 30 states in this country, do not have laws that prohibit discrimination in the workplace. So conceivably, if there are no federal protections, an LGBT person could be fired from their job in 30 states in this country. Corporations, in many cases, can create inclusive policies to protect some of those employees, administrative policies to protect some of those employees. And so the Corporate Equality Index is a tool that we use to evaluate whether or not corporations have inclusive policies and whether or not they have workspaces that are promoting inclusive um, environments. And it's been usually successful. We have more than 400, I believe, close to 500 corporations that are currently participating in the Corporate Equality Index. We're also expanding the Corporate Equality Index internationally to corporations that have offices outside of the U.S. Because the goal is to make sure that if you go to work or if you apply for a job, uh, you should not be discriminated against because of who you are. And we know, unfortunately, that is the case in many parts of the country. Right. Now, Alfonso, of course, uh, many of the issues that you're working on, you uh, worked on while you were here uh, working for uh, the, the governor. Uh, mm-hmm. But your role is, is certainly significantly different now. Uh, can you tell us what lessons did you learn as counsel to the governor that you've taken with you uh, and, and better inform your uh, efforts uh, now going forward as as president of the of the human rights campaign? Well, there's so many. <laughs> uh, I would say if probably just highlight a few. One, uh, government can be such an incredibly useful force in uh, advancing equality for the most marginalized people. In my 12 years in government, I was privileged enough to work for a governor who Uh, Governor Cuomo, who is committed to equality and justice and fairness and utilized his powers to make sure that we could represent all members of the community in New York and achieve success through the legislative branch, but also the executive branch. So my time in government really, one of the highlights for me was really fully appreciating how much government can do to change the lives of people. The second is you know understanding effective advocacy. Uh, there are many many people in the advocacy space uh, and have been there for a very long time. But when you're in government, you have a unique perspective and a view uh, in evaluating what is and is not effective advocacy. And uh, my experience, I think, makes me a better advocate because I understand how to better communicate with uh, government and with corporations uh, in a way that I may not have fully appreciated if I did not have that experience in government. And and then finally, you know, I I think people who work in government often uh, get a negative rap, I would say. Many people think that people who work in government don't work very hard or people who work in government are not very committed. 
I can tell you in my 12 years in government, I didn't work. I, I work harder in government than I think I ever have. I've, I've always worked hard, but there are also people in government that are so deeply committed to uh, making sure they get it right. Uh, yes, of course, there are others that aren't. They're, that's in every industry. But I think that experience for me really highlighted uh, how so many people are in government for the right reasons. They're there to make a difference. They're there to make sure that they can change their communities for the better. And it was great to have that experience and work with so many talented people. Well, uh, Alfonso, having having had the the privilege of working with you a little bit on some of the issues, uh, I know that you did work very hard and you did make a difference. Um, I, I thank you for your service to our state and commend you for your uh continued commitment to equality and justice. And again, thank you for being on, uh, sharing your story with us here on Miranda Warnings. You're welcome. Yes, thank you so much. We have, uh, obviously these issues are of uh, tremendous importance and, and some are very serious, um, but we have a lighthearted feature called Music Book or Movie on Miranda Warnings, where you can share <laughs> share anything that uh, you know, might be of interest to the listeners that's uh, of some meaning to you. Um, I would say probably three recently. Uh, one, I saw a really amazing play uh, called Slave Play. It's currently on Broadway, uh, written by Jeremy O'Harris. It is startling, uh, challenging, and altogether revelatory. It's, it's an amazing play about race, about class, about sex, and about identity. And um, I've, I saw it last night. The Human Rights Campaign held an event uh, for Slave Play or with Slave Play. And uh, I've seen it twice. And it's really an incredible piece of work, incredible piece of art. Hmm. Uh, the second is uh, I also saw a film recently. I'm a huge movie buff. Um, I saw a film by Pedro Almodovar, uh, who is a Spanish filmmaker. And he has a new movie called Pain and Glory, which is unlike many of his other films. But also very, very good. Uh, in, in terms of music, I discovered a new artist that I'm really enjoying. His name is Michael uh, Kawanuka, uh, who's a London-based uh, singer and very, very good. I think uh, the theme song from a, a TV show called Big Little Lies, uh, he did the theme song for the show, and his music, is, his music has been uh, very... Uh, good for me as I go through uh, and do my work. And it's been soothing and, and uh, introspective for me. Well, that's, uh, as, as always, Alfonso, you gave us a, 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 full, uh, a full plate of, uh, of information here for our listeners. Uh, I know that you're gonna, you're, you have a full agenda and uh, that you'll have uh, continued success in everything that you do. So thank you so much, Alfonso David, for, for your time here with us on Miranda Warnings. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Miranda Warnings. I encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to Miranda Warnings, a NISBA podcast available on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.